0: God, thank you for how you created us for community and how you knew that we needed one another. And You told us that. And you make it pretty clear in your word. God, I'm grateful that we have other Christians to lean on. God, we know that the church is so much bigger than this place right here at Cross Plains. God, it's great when we come together to worship that we're joining together in the course of people from the globe and from people from the beginning of the church in worshiping you. God, may we look at our worship that way. Thank you so much for our time together. God be with us as we spend time in your word from Acts chapter 2. In Jesus' name, amen. The methods of Jesus are just as divine as the method, the message of Jesus, okay? The methods of Jesus, how he went about accomplishing, what he wanted to accomplish, I believe is just as divine as the message itself. So... It's not just the what, but the how, and I think Jesus answers that for us. Because, you see, I think for too long it can become easy to kind of drift and to not stay focused in on what Jesus tells us, what God tells us through his word that we are to stay focused on. You see, what I find to be true is that far too often we try to divorce the methods of Jesus from the message of Jesus, and we want the results of Jesus and I think that they both go together hand in hand with one another for us to accomplish, for the church, for you and I as Christians who make up the bride of Christ, the body, to accomplish what Jesus wants for us to accomplish. We need to know the what and the how, and we've got to put those both of those things together. If you take away either one of those, we would never take away the message of Jesus, right? You change the gospel, you change God's word, and there's even things in Scripture that says if we add or take away from, we will be in trouble, We have never changed the message, yet it becomes easy for us to change the method by which Jesus went about accomplishing and starting the church, and the church taking off and flourishing. Friends, that's what happens in Scripture. That's what happens in the book of Acts, where we read about the church being started after Jesus' resurrection, and the day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit comes Jesus' apostles that he chose, and the church is started had always been a part of God's plan. And it flourished, and it took off, and and thousands and families and thousands and hundreds and many more were added to the fellowship, to the church, to people that will spend forever in the presence of God because the church exists. And that message took off like wildfire. In fact, if you look at the history of the church, when the church is persecuted, it's often at her strongest. And the church takes off. What I want us to do is look together for some. It may be a familiar passage. Maybe it's brand new to you. Either way, it's from God, and it is true. Acts chapter 2, um, one passage of Scripture is all I have planned today. I know sometimes I read through a lot. So we have Acts chapter 2, the very beginning of the history of the church that you and I as believers are a part of through the power of the Holy Spirit that's in us as new believers in Christ. Um, Acts two forty two following. So this is after the Holy Spirit has come down on the apostles and they spoke in tongues so that everybody could hear the message of Jesus. And then often we say, well, Peter preached the first sermon. And that's what I think a lot in my head. But really, as I went back in and I read the beginning of Acts chapter 2, this is the first big, huge recorded sermon that we have of, of Peter preaching. Where at the end, the people are pierced to the heart and they say, what m- must we do? And he says, "Believe, repent, believe, and be baptized. But before that, all of the the disciples were speaking in tongues so that people could hear. They were speaking in the native languages of all of the people that were around, telling people about Jesus and getting them ready. And then Peter kind of brings it all together through his his speech in the beginning of Acts 2 from verses 14 to following. But we're going to pick up at Acts 42 because I always want us to know where we are in Scripture. A lot of times when we look at what's going on around a specific passage, especially if it's problematic or we're trying to understand it, if we look at the context around it, we can figure out what Jesus is talking about. So we know what, what's happening up to this point in Acts chapter 2. So we're going to start in verse 42. It's just kind of like the east egg hunt in the bulletin, right? Well, you, you don't know what that means, but you can read it and figure it out. The context around it allows you to understand even if something is, is omitted and missing, you can figure out what it's talking about. In the same thing is true. Nothing's omitted or missing from God and his word. But as we read the context and the things that are around it, Come to understand the passages, both what's before and what's after. So, Acts 2 um, 42 and following. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the the proceeds to all as any had need and day by day attending in the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising god and having favor with all the people and the lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved in the passage right before that in verse 41 after peter preaches this first recorded gospel message that we have and he tells people, repent and be baptized uh, for forgiveness. Verse 41 says, so that those who received his word were baptized, and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. And then we get into what we're reading, and it's talking about the church, those that were following after Jesus. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. I want to look again at verse 46. You would. I'll come up behind me, and I'll read it. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts. It's my understanding that as we read through Acts, and especially right here, when this phrase is used, the breaking of bread, it's talking about what we observe when we come together on Sundays. Uh, we call it communion or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, or depending on your church, From where we remember together as the church, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, the bread that represents his body, the juice that represents his blood. So the very early church was committed to remembering Jesus. That's what we have this remembrance table before us. The reason that we have a table here is that the first church gathered around a table in. The a meal together, remembering actively together what Jesus did for them, both celebrating what Jesus had done and then remembering why he had to go to the cross in the first place. So the early church committed themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And then in verse 46, like I read, it says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes in generous hearts. I think what we find here is that the health of the early church was intricately related to the larger group setting and the smaller group setting. The health of the early church was intricately tied to both the larger meeting context and the smaller meeting context. Look again, it was verse 46 said, they devoted themselves to the attending together in in the temple in a big public place where they could all come together and worship and the breaking of bread in their homes. Now I don't know how big their homes were, but it wasn't as big as the temple. We can know that for sure. So you couldn't fit nearly as many people in the temple as you could in their homes, so they have these different, these continuations of these fellowship that would happen. And so for the early church, tied to their health is the larger group context and the smaller group context. I'm going to change a couple words and say this a couple times. Is not just the early church, but the health of the church is tied to both the larger group setting and the smaller meeting context. I'll say it again another way. The health of the church is intricately tied, the health of any church is tied to both the larger meeting and the smaller meeting context. I'll say it again one more way, very specifically. The health of Cross Plains Christian Church is intricately tied to both the larger meeting context and the smaller meeting context okay i cannot divorce the the methods of jesus from the message of jesus and get the results of jesus god is the one who comes in and he transforms us he convicts us through the power of his holy spirit but i firmly believe with all that i have that jesus wasn't just showing us the the what but the how and the early church was thrived, And it wasn't perfect. A lot of times, maybe we can think that, man, if we could just get back to the, the early church, they were perfect. There was nothing wrong with them. They met together in homes. They held all their possessions together. They took care of everybody that was in need. And that's a phenomenal picture of what the church is. But guess what was in the church? People. And people are sinful. I am sinful. So there were always problems. There were always going to be problems. And there always, I think, will be problems. But we can overcome those problems because of the promise that we have of what we are called to accomplish. And when we get these people, these first believers that responded to that first Christian message that we have recorded from Peter, that they learned from the apostles' teaching, those who Jesus chose to invest in. Jesus knew that his time on this earth was limited, so he taught the crowds, but he focused on his 12 And he lived life together with them, and he invested in them, and he taught them, and he sent them out to to do things. And then he brought them back, and he would teach them, and he would encourage them, and he would correct when he needed to. And even among the 12, Jesus would go even from his 12 apostles and spend even more time with three, with Peter, with James, with John. Because even Jesus was limited on the amount of time and the relational capital that he had, if you allow me to use that term. He only had so many hours and so many days. He was bound by time like you and I are when he was in this body. And he knew that he had to invest to get the greatest return. Because what he's talking about, the return, is the, the most important thing ever. And when we're talking about return and investment when it comes to the church and what we are to accomplish, what we're talking about is whether or not people will spend forever in the presence of God or if they will be condemned to the fiery pits of hell away from God and his love, and his justice. So what you're trying to accomplish, you could say, noble task in all the world. God wants for the church to reach as many people as possible with the method and the message of Jesus. And Jesus did that by being in close relationship That is why the early church got together, and that's why I made this statement in the way that I did. The health of the church is intricately tied to both the larger group and the smaller group context. It is not either or. It is both and. Because God calls us to live as relational people. He wants us to be disciples of him and to minister together to one another. We talk about a lot here what a disciple is. We've defined that through the lens of Scripture. A disciple loves God and others, bears fruit, and equips others for service. There's a couple words that we kind of attribute to that too. It's on the bulletin. We want to worship and grow and serve. The sermon last week in one word is worship. If you want to hear all the other words, you can go to our website and listen to that and get the podcast on your phone. But the sermon in one word today is grow or more poignantly, as I need to hear it sometimes, grow up. I love the church. And because I love the church, I love the people that make up the church. And what that has to be true is for all of us as Christians who are going to believe in Jesus. We can't say we love the church and not like the people, okay? Because the church are the people connected together. That's why I love anything that we can that helps me better understand or to filter through God's Word to know what we are to accomplish because what our enemy does is he tries to distract us. Sometimes he even tries to distract us with the good so that we forget what is best. And he wants us to take our eyes and our focus off of Jesus because he knows that when we do that, we will mess up. So what we have to stay as vigilant as the church in knowing what Jesus has called for us to accomplish and how he wants for us to do that. And I think he does that in relationship, in the context of the local church. We know, and I always have to remember, that the church is so much bigger than whatever context that I'm a part of, than Cross Plains or wherever. There is only one church. There is one bride of Christ, and Jesus is coming back for her. Now, we have our differences with other Christians, and we can have those conversations at another time. And some of them are really important. Don't mishear me. But we have to love the church, and we have to see what the church is to accomplish. And we look back at the very beginning, the first people who responded when Peter preached and when they heard the the message of the gospel in their own language. What do they do? They devoted themselves to fellowship together. They devoted themselves to communion, to actively remembering what Jesus did. And they devoted themselves to staying really close-knit together, in real relationship with one another, so that when somebody had need, maybe they didn't need to ask, because some of us are too proud to ask. But we need it. God knows when we need that help, and we need, you need those people in your life that are close enough to you that you love and respect, that you will hear them when they have to say difficult things to you. That when God puts them in your life to challenge you, to stretch you, you in your faith. You need those people in your life because if you don't have those people that are are close to you in the church, when somebody delivers a message that may well be from God to encourage you, you might not listen because you say, they don't know me. How dare they? But when we live together in relationship with one another, the church becomes stronger. Tom Rainer um, and his Rainer Research Group did a, a, a research study on the church what they did is they um, polled hundreds, if not thousands, of different churches. They said, over the past five years, I want you to point out what people in the church attend worship only and what people in the church are also tied to a group. They attend worship and they come to a group. And here's some numbers. Remember number 5, the number 83, the number 16. Right, 5, 83, and 16. 16. So, what they said over the course of five years, when new believers come into the church, 83% of people, of believers who not only came to worship, but were tied into a group, were still actively involved in the church five years later. All right, five, 83. 83. People are five times more likely to stay in the church, to be actively involved in the church, to be ministers of the gospel, sharing Jesus with their families and their their co-workers and everybody they come in a dark world. People are five times more likely to still be invested in the ministry and the work of Jesus in the church if they're also plugged into a smaller group. What was the last number? 16? only 16% of people who only came to worship were still involved in the church five years later. Tom Rayner has devoted his life to the church. He's a preacher and a teacher, and he likes to do research because he loves the church and wants to find any ways that we can to make the church more healthy, to help people to grow in their faith, and that's why they under, undertake these studies. They may not sound very spiritual to you, but I can promise you, at the heart of them, they're trying to figure out how can we better reach people for Jesus? How can we better take what God teaches us in his word and apply that to the life? Of helping people grow in their faith and what is not. And that's why they undertook these things. Because what is so important to us in the church about being plugged together in a smaller group context is because it helps to close the back door of the church. That's so important. There's three things here and the first I kind of talked on a lot, the health of the local church is directly tied to the health of the groups in the church. It's not just the big group setting, but it's the smaller groups as well. Because we can only get to know one another so well in a group of 80 on Sunday morning. You can only get to know someone so well in a group of 50 and a group of 500. But you get in a smaller amount of group where people where you can remember their names, you can figure out what's going on in their life, you can trust them with the deepest, darkest secrets of your soul you are connected. And when you're connected, you feel less alone. I mean, so many Christians feel alone. You would be amazed at the response that is given by preachers when they're asked if they have any close friends. And it's so sad that so many of them say, I don't. Not in the church. I I can't trust the people in the church. If I shared with them, with, they wouldn't listen to me. I might lose my job. They might not respect me anymore. So many preachers report, and it's their own fault, okay? And I don't fall into this category. They say, I don't have any close friends. I don't have any people of faith that I trust because I have to pretend like I have it all together. Well, what good does pretending you have it all together do for anybody? Very little. Very little. That applies to me, and that applies to you. We are not called to pretend. We're called to live life in relationship with one another. And it's so important for us. We want new people to come in the door. I'm so excited when new people come to church. Brand new people who just moved into the area or people I haven't seen in a while or whatever, or especially people who aren't Christians. When they come into the church, we get excited. And I think you get excited. We all get excited because we want them to have Jesus. We want them to have this saving relationship with Jesus. But what's, I think, just as important as them coming through the front door as us shutting the back door down. We don't want them to escape. We don't want people to fall through the cracks. We don't want people to feel like they don't belong. We don't want people to quit attending for a while and then I miss it because I just do. And then nobody follows up with them. I don't want that to happen. And the number one reason I think that a lot of churches have trouble growing to larger scales is that if we expect one person to do everything, If we leave up all the pastoral care to the minister, our ceiling about how many people we can reach is limited because my capacity is just like Jesus' capacity. I like comparing myself to Jesus. It makes myself feel good, right? I am limited in my relational capacity. I am limited in the amount of numbers I have in the day and the amount of time that I have. But together as the church, as we minister to one another, we're, what we are called to do in the church is to train up a spiritual army and release us, to release you into the world, into your families. We hold to this tenet, this belief that we are the priesthood of all believers. We don't need anybody else to go before us on our behalf before God but because we have Jesus, because we are all ministers of the gospel. We're all called to love and to care and to serve for, for other people. And it's when we are working together as the church that we become most effective, that we can reach the most people, that we can become involved in people's lives, that you can connect to your, to your family members or your neighbors or whoever it is, because you can relate to people that I can't, and I can relate to people that you can't. And what happens is not that we just all hang out with people that are the same as us, because that doesn't work. But what it does is we build this diverse community in the church where we are, are, feel like we can be protected, and we feel like we're loved, and that we're cared for. That's why it's so important that, yeah, I want new believers to come in, and I want brand new people who don't know Jesus to be influenced by the church here at Cross Plains. The sad truth is, uh, when you look at the church as a whole, uh, a lot of the growth, if not most of the growth that happens in churches is people hopping from one church to another. I'm not going to turn anybody away. Anybody that wants to come, you know, that's great. But if I find that somebody's running away from a problem that they're not they have not addressed, that God would want them to, because it's important for us to stay committed to the local church in many different capacities, but it's important. But what, what I think is is more important than re like shifting Christians around from one church to the other is reaching people who don't know Jesus yet. Because what Jesus wants for us to do is to reach those who don't have a saving relationship with him. The Bible paints in so many different ways that when we first give our lives to Jesus and we trust him, we're infants. Y'all, Jesse and I are about to have a new baby girl at our house. I forget how you take care of babies. I don't remember what you do. I mean, like, you can't, they can't have strawberries until they're two. You can't have peanut butter. You're not supposed to do this. Or I mean, you know, there's all this crazy stuff. But babies are helpless. They cannot do a thing for themselves except what? Well, Cry. Is it a happy cry? Is it a sad cry? Well, you don't know sometimes because that's how they communicate. A lot of times what happens to new believers in the church, they don't know how to communicate. They don't know how to express themselves. So they need to grow up in their faith. There's some really strong passages in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in the book of Hebrews, the end of chapter 5, into the beginning of chapter 6, that talks about the importance of growing. And very specifically from the context of, of Hebrews 5, it talks about growing up. The writer of Hebrews tells us that says, by now, you should be teachers, but instead, I have to feed you spiritual milk. You should be on to the meatier things of your faith, but you're not. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in Corinthians, in chapter 3, he says, when I was with you, I wish I could have told you what I thought, what you needed to hear in your faith, but you couldn't. You weren't ready for it. Wait. What the Bible does is it paints this picture for us about how we grow in our faith. We're, at one point, we are dead in our transgressions and sins to God. But because of Jesus, we are made alive, again, new creations. Then we become spiritual infants. And then we hopefully continue to grow. We become young adults. We become children. We start having some responsibilities for ourselves. We're asking lots of really good questions to help develop our faith to know what it's talking about. Then we become young adults in our faith. And we looking for how we can serve. It's no longer just about me and what I want or what I think or what I prefer, but it's about others. So we start looking to the care of others before ourselves. And then hopefully we move beyond that and we become a spiritual adult where we're training up new spiritual children and we're discipling them and we're helping them to grow along the process. And what I really believe is true is that I would do myself a disservice as a Christian if I wasn't connected to the church. God wants us connected together in community, in the church, so that we can sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron so one believer can sharpen another. God knows that you guys are needy people, okay? I could have started with me, but I'll start with you sometimes. God knows that I am a needy person, that I need help, that I'm going to mess up, and that's why God gave us community. That's why God's plan has always been the church. And that's why the health of the church is tied to the larger group setting and the smaller group setting. Call it whatever you want. What we're trying to do is to live our lives together as Christians. I think far too often what has happened in the church, this is a condemnation of myself as much as anything else, okay, is that we have built this mindset in the church that as long as I fill my Christian calendar with a bunch of stuff that I'm going to grow, Guess what? That is not true. In fact, I don't think you can find anything in Scripture to back up that practice that we have adopted. But instead, maybe saying no to something that may be good, so that say yes to what is going to be best and what's going to give us our best return on our investment, and our investment is what? People who Jesus died for. So I don't want you to hear talking about being effective in the church as being unspiritual because it's not. We're we're following after the Spirit, and God is calling all of us to be obedient. If you're going to listen to him, he's going to guide you in the right direction. He will. He will. But where I think a lot of times we lack is focus. I know where I lack a lot of times is focus. We live in a world where we're all, what's the answer that we get most of the time we ask somebody how they are? Busy. Busy. There's other answers, but they're wrong. Busy was the right answer. (laughs) No, 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 there's lots of answers that we get, but we're busy, and because I'm busy, I'm tired. And because I'm busy and I'm tired, I don't have time to do anything, and I hate life. And because I'm busy and I'm tired, I don't have time to spend with my family. And because I'm busy and I'm, I'm, I'm tired, I don't have time to get to know my neighbors who don't know Jesus, because I spend time just surrounded by other Christians all the time. That's why it's so important for us as the church to be healthy. If we want to get the results of Jesus, where we see this explosive growth that happened in the church, I'm not just talking about numbers, but I'm talking about the depth of my relationship with Jesus. I'm talking about the depth of your relationship with Jesus, growing in your faith, moving from a child to an adolescent, moving from an adolescent to a parent. What does a parent have? Children that they are developing and nurturing and cared for, that they feel responsible for, to help them, to show them what they need to do in their faith and and how they can grow and what God wants for them to accomplish, and to teach them what the Bible says. Because we have to know what the Bible says, but after we know what the Bible says, what do we also have to do? Do it. Because it's not head knowledge, it's heart knowledge. It's about heart knowledge. That's what Jesus wants. That's why it's so important for us to reach new people, or to find people who aren't growing in their faith, and if they want to grow here, that's great. It's absolutely wonderful. And what we want to do when people come in is we want to have a system in place where we close the back door, where people don't fall through the cracks, where they don't feel like they don't belong. How, what better place for people who are broken and hurting to belong than the church? Yet sometimes I can become uncomfortable when people show up that don't talk like I do, that don't look like I do, that don't have the same values that I have, whose kids aren't nearly as behaved as my kid and I become uncomfortable. Maybe what I need more than comfort is being uncomfortable. Maybe what I need is for God to put those people in the church here that make me uncomfortable, that stretch me in my faith, that allow, that force me to depend on Him and not on myself. Because God's ways and plans are so much higher than my ways and my plans. So as a part of the church, in this big series we're doing, we talked about membership for about six weeks. We're talking about how we can be outwardly focused in the last couple weeks, talking about worship, talking about grow. God is the one that brings growth. We can't fake it. We can't make that happen. But what I think we can do is to cultivate our hearts to be more receptive to what God wants us to do. And we do that by spending time with other people, and I had lunch with my buddy Clint this past week. And that guy, he just oozes Jesus. Like, he just comes out and he just talks. And I just feel, like, terrible about myself and how much I know the Bible when I hear other, like, my, my friend, like, Clint talk. I'm like, man, he knows way more scripture than I do. I'm awful. <laughs> because that happens to all of us. And we feel, we're going to feel like that. But it was encouraging, too, to want to accomplish what God wants for us to accomplish. And we do that when we live life in real relationship together. That's why we talk so much about, I mean, we want to come together on Sunday morning for worship. It's always going to be part of what we do. That's why we talk so much about our life groups, church. And maybe you think you know what it is and maybe you're afraid to try it out. I encourage you to pray about that and see how God wants for you to be involved. Maybe it doesn't work for you, okay? It's not a one fix for everything, but it's probably different than anything you've tried before. Not that it's perfect but it's living life together in relationships. It's not about a study or a teacher, but it's about us sharpening one another. Right now we have four that meet a couple days during the week. Uh, one that meets on Thursday, Fridays, Saturdays. Um, what we want is for people to be invited. We've tried to make a point from the leadership to invite everybody to be a part of a group because when we spend life together, when we're involved in a smaller group context of believers who are s- focused in on the mission of the church that we have here at Cross Plains. What were well, the numbers earlier? Five, 83, and 16. Five years down the road, people are 83% are still going to be involved in the mission of Jesus if they're plugged into a group. Five times more likely to influence their communities, to influence your families, to influence people that None of us in this room can reach, but through the people that God's going to put in our lives, we can reach. Grow. God calls for us to grow. There's this expectation that we mature in our faith. And it doesn't just happen over time. It just doesn't happen because another year comes. It just happens because we stay busy working our spiritual muscles. That happens when we're intently involved in relationship with other people who love Jesus, who love us, and want the best for us. What if? What if? What if God captures us in the way that He captured the early church? What if God got our lives so that we couldn't but help share with other people? What if God wants to use us as the church here at Cross Plains to break some cycles that have happened in families, to restore families? What if God wants to use us to take people who grow up in the church and stay in the church, that stay involved in the church, that stay actively pursuing Jesus with a white-hot laser focus? What if it's just as simple? is making sure that we're connecting the methods of Jesus with the message of Jesus to get the results of Jesus. Real life, in relationship with one another, it's so much deeper than, hey, good to see you on Sunday. And guess what? It is great to see you on Sunday. But it's so much better to cultivate and to deepen those relationships. Let me pray. God, I ask you, evident <laughs> and clear to us. God, you are the one that you desire that everyone will repent and come to you. God, you want for us to grow, and there's an expectation that we are to grow and to mature in our faith. God, put the people in our lives to say it in a way that we will hear it and it will sink into our hearts. God, that we will mature. God, that you cause us to grow. Father, that we trust you, that we are obedient to what you're calling us to do, and that we trust you with the outcome. God, thank you for caring for us when we were your enemies, when we did nothing to deserve it. God, may we remember that truth and stay focused in on what is best for us what's best for your kingdom, and God, what's best for the church, and not let all the other stuff get in the way. God, give us a clear picture of how we can make more disciples. God, because everybody deserves to have a chance to experience the church, caring for, loving one another. God, thank you for your son. God, thank you for Jesus and how his Sacrifice on the cross covers our shortcomings. God, I pray that we are challenged by your word. God, thank you for the church and for these people. In Jesus' name, amen.